You know, I hope you were listening as John read that story. It's, I mean, it's quite a story. It really is. And we're going to talk about it in some detail this morning. But, you know, I'm just going to start out by sharing some, some things that, that just came kind of flooding into my heart and my mind uh, as, as, I, as I read this story and as I prepared to share on it this morning. The reality of, of miracles... And I do believe in miracles. The reality of miracles does not mean that we never have any problems. Peter had a huge problem in the story. But the reality of our problems and the reality of your problems does not mean that there are no miraculous deliverances for you. I mean, not every problem is met with a miracle, but it it is spiritually dangerous to get to the point where you never expect God to do any great and mighty work for you. I had a friend a long time ago. His name was Ron Almquist. And Ron would always say, he was a Christian. We'd talk about our faith together. And Ron Ron would always say, I have chosen to be a pessimist. That way I'm never disappointed. That was just his philosophy of life, and he, and he truly lived it out. He was one of the most pessimistic people I ever, ever met. And I think without admitting it, some of us are kind of close or can get close to that position. You know, we just tamp down our expectations so, so we're not let down. Well, that kind of thinking is, is just not seen in the Bible. I believe that we are to see God as a lively and powerful God who intervenes for us. You know, I had my message all done, or pretty much all done, yesterday. And yesterday afternoon, I, I was just looking at something on, online. And I honestly, I kind of had felt like everything I'd read about Acts 12, I, somehow I kind of just felt like it, it just missed, missed the, the power and the supernatural aspect of this chapter. And then I ran across uh, something by a pastor named Jack Arnold, and he said this, the church today is in deep trouble because it has lost the concept of a sovereign, supernatural, working God. And as long as people who claim to be Christian think that God cannot or will not work supernaturally, and that God is dependent upon man's schemes, intelligence, programs, and ingenuity, then they will never see God work mightily. But when men stop depending upon themselves and turn to God in simple faith, believing he is able to do the impossible, they will begin to see and experience the mysterious workings of a sovereign God. The church today must develop a supernaturalistic mind and must resist and fight with all its might the anti-supernaturalistic spirit of this godless age. It was the concept of the supernatural working God that gave the first century church such confidence and power. They knew God through Christ and they lived like supernaturalist. That's why I love Marcy getting up here and sharing her testimony about God working in her life. Last week, Brian sharing about God miraculously healing him. Well, this morning, I want to introduce you 
and me to the God of the Bible. I, I want you to see the God who is in the Bible. I want you to see the God who is in this story. Uh, I want you to know and believe with conviction that the God who set Peter free from prison is also your God. I think many of us have an image of God in our mind, an image of God of a God who leaves us on our own to figure out our lives and our problems. And then there's this different God in the Bible who does things and answers prayer and works supernaturally. And somehow, somehow we got we to gotta stop that incongruity. We got to realize that, that our God today is the God of this story, is the God of the Bible. Of course, we have problems. I have problems. I have problems I'm dealing with right now in my life. You have problems that you're probably de- dealing with in your life right now. And sometimes we have problems that persist. And, and we see that. That's a part of the story. We see that here in the stories. The believers, the Christians, were under vicious attack by Herod. James was put to death with the sword. But yet... Luke's emphasis in this story is clearly on the supernatural work of God in freeing Peter from prison. It's to encourage our faith and our prayers. It's to remind us that God has power over our lives, over our circumstances, and can change the outcome of even the most dire and dark, hopeless situations in your life. Your, prob- your problem probably is not that you are in prison and going to be executed tomorrow morning. Your desperate situation might be a troubled marriage, a broken relationship with someone you deeply care about, a deep concern you have for the needs of your children, or your prison could be bondage to spiritual depression or guilt or shame or some besetting sin. Psalm 134 says, The Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. In other words, the Lord will defend and act on behalf of His people. That's the great thing about being a child of God. But Psalm 134 goes on to say, but the, the idols or the gods of the nations are made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. The thing that distinguishes us as God's people, the thing that distinguishes us from all other people is that we serve a living God. We serve a God who can hear, who can see, who can speak, who can act and does act on behalf of his people. And that's what we see. That's the beauty of this story. That's the power of this story here in Acts 12. That's the beauty of reading your Bible. It opens, it opens a window to see God. And so often we just go through life and we get this like big haze, spiritual haze over our eyes and, and we can't see the greatness and the goodness and the, 
the power of God to work in our lives. Many years ago, I was, I was so moved by reading Psalm 18. I, I don't remember the exact situation I was in in life or the exact problem, but I was so moved by reading Psalm 18 that I memorized the whole thing. And I'll be honest with you, I don't do a lot of scripture memory. It just doesn't seem to come that easy to me. I don't know if it's my age or what, but it doesn't seem to come that easy to me anymore. And it's the only time I've ever remember, memorized a whole chapter. Uh, but I memorized Psalm 18. I'm going to read some of it for you, this, for, for you this morning. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies. And then listen to how he describes his his situation. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice And my cry before him came into his ears. Then David goes on to say, this this is God's reaction. This is my God's reaction. Verse 7, the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And there's a lot of word pictures in there, uh, but it's, there, there's a purpose in that. And I take time to read all of that because we desperately need to see that God is not a sleepy disinterested, silent, weak, and unresponsive God. He is a God who parts the heavens and comes down. He's a God who makes a big commotion in response to your cries to him, to your cries to help. That's what David's trying to communicate. Hey, man, when I I cried to the Lord, man, the, the Lord got stirred up. He made a big commotion and came down and helped me. At the same time that I was studying uh, Acts 12 and, and meditating on this miraculous story of, of the angel delivering Peter from prison, uh, when we were down at our conference in, in Oklahoma City, I bought a book by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Living Water. And it's, it's, I don't know if you know anything about him, but he writes tons on very small passages of Scripture. But it's, it's all about the story of the woman at the well. Whole book, big, thick book. But, but in this book, and I picked it up, the very first chapter, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, This is Christianity. The Lord appears suddenly in the midst of the drudgery and the routine 
And the sameness and the dullness and the drabness, unexpectedly, surprisingly, he meets with you. And he says something to you that changes your whole life and your outlook and lifts you to a level you had never conceived could be possible for you. Do not let the devil deceive you. There is always this glorious possibility of meeting with him in a new and dynamic way. And then he said this, which really hit, really hit me with power. Possibly one of the most devastating things that can happen to us as Christians is that we cease to expect anything to happen. And he goes on to tell a story about a man I was reading in the same chapter, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of a man and a wife who were going through some great trials of sickness and great difficulty. And the man said, everything seemed to be designed to crush his wife. But one evening, at the very depths of the depression and trial and tribulation that had overtaken them as a little family, his wife went to read her daily portion of Scripture. She went not expecting anything, but just doing something that was routine, But suddenly she found that her Lord was there and she had the most marvelous experience of her entire life, an experience that enabled her not only to have an entirely new view of what was happening to them, but also to help her husband. And soon they entered into a position of release and victory. This is Christianity. The Lord Lord shows up. He he showed up with, with Peter in the prison cell. And there's a message for us here in this chapter to know that we have a God who shows up. The Lord can come to you anywhere. And just, I mean, even just this sense of expectancy, just this sense of expectancy that you can go to to sleep at night and the Lord Lord could show up to you in an amazing way during the night or or, or whenever at your work. He can come in prison like he did with Peter. He can come to you when you're doing your daily duties or your daily work like he did the woman at the well. Uh, He can come to you in the middle of the night and reassure you and relieve your fears like he did for Paul when he faced many dangers and problems at Corinth. I don't know if you know the story, but in Acts, well, actually, we'll probably get to it, but the Lord Lord appeared to Paul in the night and he, he reassured him. He said, you know, don't fear. I've got... Many people for you here, just keep on going. He just, just encouraged him. He, but he, he did that. He came to him in the middle of the night. And of, of course, we believe and we teach again and again, the Lord is always with us. He never will leave us or ever forsake us. There's a sense that we know God is always with us. And yet he still shows himself to us in, in fresh ways, at, at times in overpowering ways to meet special needs in our lives, to come to us when we're in times of our most extreme need. In, in a very, very small way, I'm going I'm to share this, but it just, it's a really small thing. But it, again, it happened while I was studying in this chapter and thinking about it, and, and, it, and it really touched me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a, a Dell update on my, my computer, and after the, the update, it, just, it was just like my computer, computer stopped working. And I couldn't get on the internet, and, and I, I'm not a high-tech person, so I, I hesitate to tell this story uh, for that reason. But um, I, I, had, I had a lot of work that I felt pressure to get done, things that I needed to do on the internet, email, etc. And I called the, a, 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 
uh, Iowa PC Services, who I use here in Ankeny, uh, he couldn't help me out with anything. He tried several things, but he couldn't help me out over the phone. I tried everything. I reset the whatever, all the comp- the modem and all that stuff down in the basement. Couldn't get at, get, get that to work. Uh, and uh, so I called the Panora Telco store because they had just recently changed our internet service, uh, and, and it was a faster speed, different setup. And so I thought maybe that had something to do with it. And anyway. This gal there said, "Well, you know, come on in. We'll take, you know, we'll take take a look at it. They don't think it has anything to do with their service." But uh, so I took it to the Panora Telcos, Telco Telco store, which handles local internet and phone service. And uh, there was a, a gal there. She didn't know much about it. She tried to help me, but amazingly, one guy came into the store, and then another guy came into the store just while I was there. That was part of their technical uh, support at for this company. Well, I thought, wow, praise the Lord, my problems are over. Well, they tried all kinds of things for a half hour to fix my computer, but not, nothing they did worked. Uh, they, they had tried a, a system restore. I'm not sure if it's the right, it's system recovery or system restore or something like that. They did that, didn't work. And I could tell they were just about ready to give up and hand my computer back. And I actually was ready to say the same thing. Hey, guys, thanks, I'll take my computer, I'll, you know, take it back to Des Moines. Or Ankeny. Uh, but I, you know, I'd been thinking about a verse that I had read just in my, in my devotions. Uh, and you may say, well, this has nothing to do with what you, how you're applying it, Reed. And, I, and I'll, I, I'll, I'll give you that. But I read the verse that said, In him, in Jesus Christ, are stored all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so I, just, I was just worshiping Christ that he has all the wisdom and knowledge, even about computers. I, I prayed that he would give it, give it, that that wisdom would be given in this situation. I didn't have the faith that it would be given to me, but I had the faith that it might be given to these guys. Well, uh, just before giving up, one of the guys said, well, let's do a system recovery, or I don't know if it's system restore or system recovery. Let's do it one more time. It didn't work, but let me just try it one more time to an earlier date. He did it. It fixed everything, and I had my computer back. I could go home and keep working on my stuff. And to me, it was just like God showed up. A very minor situation in some ways, but it was like God helped me and gave, gave me wisdom. And I, I told them, I said, you know, God brought, I'm sure God brought me into the store, and he gave you guys the wisdom. He gave you guys that final answer for me, and I told them I really appreciate it. I don't know what they thought about that, but I just, I was so sure the Lord helped me, I felt like I had to tell them. So, well, I want to I want to move now more more directly into this chapter, and I just just share um, f- four truths from this chapter that that are really important for you to know. Uh, number one, God does allow us to experience dire straits. Now, I don't know why that phrase came to my mind, but as I was just thinking of that, I was just thinking dire straits. <laughs> That's and God does allow us to get in. Dire straits, to be put in dire straits, straits, perplexing situations, situations that we feel are hopeless or unsolvable situations. And we see that in this story. You know, many Christians were being abused and mistreated. Some of them had been arrested by Herod and put in prison. And by the way, uh, this was Herod Agrippa, 
There's a lot of Herods in the Bible. And one of the most confusing things you can ever do in, even though I was a history major, one of the most confusing things I can ever try to figure out is all, who all the different Herods were. But this was Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who, who killed all the inf- infants in Bethlehem at the time of Christ's birth. He was trying to kill Jesus Christ. So now we're talking about his grandson here in this chapter. He is nephew to Herod and Antipas, or Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist. But in other words, he was a part of a line of men who did not hesitate to do cruel and wicked things. And this was the Herod, this was the man who had James put to death with the sword. In other words, he had his head cut off. And this James is not the author of the book of James. This is the brother of John, one of the disciples. And he was one of the three disciples in the innermost circle who were closest to Jesus. And if you read your Gospels, you've, you'll find out that you know, there's a lot of disciples, but most of the stories are about Peter, James, and John. Uh, there, there's not a lot of stories about Thaddeus or Bartholomew. Most all of them are about these three disciples who are closest to Jesus. And it was this James who Herod executed. And it just shows the reality. Not even, not even, even the apostles were protected from problems, suffering, and even death. Not even James. And some, some might have thought that the apostles would have some kind of, of uh, special protection from problems. But in Mark 10, verse 39, Jesus told James, he told him, James, you will drink the cup that I drink. He was, he was, Jesus was supernaturally foretelling James' death. So part of our journey will be through valleys, through low points, through hard things, through pressing needs. Uh, Just like these believers were suffering under Herod's cruelty. And God permits us to suffer for, for periods of time uh, to teach us obedience, to test the genuineness of our faith. But there, there is, there's always another reason for our extreme neediness. It is, it is so that God can show us that he is the God of impossible situations. And even if we, even if we die, he is the God who raises the dead. Death is not the end for the believer. It's the entrance that's our passageway into, their, into the most glorious life we could, could have ever hoped for and f- the fulfillment of everything that we want. You know, and, and Paul said when he was at an extremely low point uh, and very, very stressed, uh, he said, we, we despaired even of life. I mean, he got, that, he got that low at that one point. He didn't generally live like that. He generally was always incredible, had an incredible amount of rejoicing in the Lord. But he said, uh, we, we despaired even of life, but, he, but God showed him why he allowed him to feel that. He said, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. You know, we're, we're supposed to have a, a, a faith in, in a God. Your God, my God, is supposed to be to us 
a God who raises the dead, a God of the impossible, a God who does great and mighty things in hopeless situations. So, and it is often in our extreme neediness that that we see God show up in, in the most powerful and meaningful ways that so deeply touch us and, and, and show us that he is our God. And so I, I, I believe that Luke begins the story the way he does. He just wants us to know how bad the situation is. He wants us to know that Herod is a, is a, is a mean, bad, wicked guy doing terrible things. Um, he wants us to know how bad the situation was for Peter so that we'll know what a great thing it was that God lifted him out of prison. So, as you, as you probably picked up when uh, we read the story, when John read the story, uh, you know, Herod plans to kill Peter, right? He's, he is, he's planning to kill Peter, and so he's going to hold him till after this feast is over, which lasted seven days, and he, so he appoints seven, or I'm sorry, 16 soldiers to make sure Peter does not escape. There, there are four squads of four soldiers each. According to my math, that means they're probably each on duty uh, six hours. Six times four is 24, right? So they had, but there are four soldiers with Peter at all times. Two soldiers were always chained to Peter. So he, he was in chains at all times. And two stood guard. And so there, there was no human answer for Peter. There was, just, there was just no human way out of this. And, and often in our situations, there, there's just no human dilemma, or I'm sorry, no human answer to our dilemmas. There's just no way out that we can see. Okay, that's, but that's number one. Just God does allow us at, for various times and seasons of life to experience being in dire straits. Number two, we can have the complete peace of God in our dire straits even before we are delivered. Even before our prayers are answered, we can have peace. One of the most remarkable things in this story surely happened in the heart of Peter. Uh, He was facing trial the next morning. Herod had executed James. Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, to execute James, so he arrested Peter too. Peter is not stupid. He knows what's going on. He knows knows he's going to have a sham trial in the morning and be executed, beheaded. Yet here he is sound asleep between these two prison guards. We don't know for sure what's going on in his mind, but his, his body tells us something about his state of mind. His body is at rest. He's able to sleep. Confidence in God. Confidence in God affects your body's ability to be calm and to sleep. Uh, Inner peace. Inner peace with God. And the peace of God about situations and perplexing and painful things that you're going on are going on in your life. Inner peace from God affects you physically. It's like that inner peace flows out through the rest of your being. 
through through your mind and through through your through through literally through your body. And I'm not I don't know anything about uh, you know the effect of of anxiety and stuff on on the body. But I mean, you just know that it's that kind of inner stress and trouble and ter- inner turmoil affects your body. And peace allows allows you to be calm, allows you to rest. David said, in peace, I will both lay down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. There's just this sense that because I have the peace of the Lord, and I know the Lord's taking care of me, I I can just lay down and sleep. And I didn't research the context of what he said that, but he, he was probably about to be killed or something when he said that. That's just David's, David's life. Um, I, Isaiah said, in quietness and confidence is your strength. In quietness and confidence. That's, that's a verse I, I use to, to share with or counsel many people that are really worked up about things. You know, in quietness and in confidence is your strength. We have a responsibility before God to keep ourselves uh, as much as possible in a state of, of calm, in a state of, of peace, uh, and not yield to, to the temptation to let our emotions just run wild with uh, fears and, and passions. Uh, and this, this peace comes from trusting God. And we need, we need to have that kind of peace be, before we get out of prison, so to speak. We need to have that peace before we see the answer to our prayers. We need to have that peace before we see the angel come and usher us out of our jail. Okay. Number three, uh, God has limitless resources to help you, including the miraculous help of angels. Verse 7, I'm just going to read this again because I think it's so amazing. I think I've put, got it in a different version here. I think it's the ISV. But it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. I think, I think, I think, I think that still might be NIV. The ISV, I, I love it. It says, tuck in your shirt and put on your shoes. You know, I, a lot of contemporary versions I don't like, but I, I like that statement there. And so, you know, the angel helps Peter in very practical ways. And I think, so I think if we have, uh, have our, our spiritual ears open as we read the scripture, then we would learn that, okay, that's, at least sometimes, that, that's how angels work. They help us in very practical ways. This angel... Uh, tapped Peter on his side, one version says. Another version says they poked Peter in the side, you know, or struck Peter, however you want to say it. But this angel uh, nudged Peter firmly enough to wake him up, uh, told him to get dressed. And I, I love that detail that he reminded him, you know, don't forget your sandals, put, you know, put those on too. And he said, follow me. And he caused the chains to fall off Peter's wrists. He enabled them. Uh, to pass by two sets of prison guards without being seen. I mean, how did that happen? And he caused the iron gate to the city to open by itself. So, I mean, it's just, there's, just, there's numerous uh, supernatural details that God accomplishes here. 
and obviously Peter experienced it. Obviously he related all these things to Luke and Luke wrote them down for us so that we could be blessed by this. Now it's interesting too that Peter thought he was seeing a vision of being released from prison but did not think he really was being released from prison. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) You know, uh, I think it tells us a little bit about visions and angels. Uh, God does communicate to his people sometimes by visions. Um, And a vision can be be a tremendous comfort and encouragement from God. But a, a vision is not an actual event. It's, it's something that God shows us in our mind, or as I think um, David Guzik says, in our mind's eye. But the help of angels can change real events and circumstances in our lives. Uh, I've always been struck by the, the practical help of angels that is promised to us in uh, Psalm 91.11. He will command his angels to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, so, you know, when I think of angel helping me, I, you know, I think maybe something bigger like Peter experienced, getting, you know, getting released from prison or some, you know, some really major event. But, you know, Psalm 91 just... Says the angels there, God commands his angels concerning you or about you to guard you and protect you in all your ways. Uh, even even in such a small thing as uh, keeping keeping you from striking your foot against a stone. A lot of our misconceptions about angels come from artists, uh, particularly the uh, Renaissance artists. Uh, during the Renaissance, the uh, artist began using Cupid uh, from Greek mythology as a basis for depicting angels. And so their, their angels were, were often painted like toddlers with wings. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure you've seen them. I, I, if I was uh, savvy with technology, I would have probably put a picture up here. You know, but there's famous paintings that you've seen of two little cherubs, they're called, two little... They look like again. They just look like little infants or babies with wings on them, and and that's that's kind of what comes to mind a lot of, for a lot of people when they think of of angels. But the angels of the Bible are mighty servants of God who obey Him, doing His will. They are powerful. They are warriors. They are part of the armies of heaven. Uh, Two hundred and sixty-one times in the Bible, God is called the Lord of Hosts. And the word hosts means armies. And, and there are some translations that, that translate it that way. Instead of saying the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord, the Lord of heavenly armies. He is the God of heavenly angelic armies. And he can, he can send an, an angel to do something um, as mundane as keeping you from striking your foot against a a stone or some other object. He can send an angel to fight for you. He can send an angel to help you. But his his angels are, are not weak, little, helpless cherubs uh, with wings. <laughs> They're mighty. Well, God gave us this story to encourage us to have confidence in God when we are in trouble and to let us know that he has, he has many powerful ways 
to help us. Um, of course, you know, some people, I, I acknowledge some people, you may have run into somebody who just has an unhealthy obsession with angels. But you know what? That's not a problem or, and not the problem most of us have. Uh, many of us scarcely believe in angels. But, you know, the early church did believe in them. Peter certainly did. And I find it very revealing that those who were holding in this prayer meeting at Mary's house, and it was, Mary was the mother of John or Mark, and John who's called Mark. So they, they had this prayer meeting there. And the people that, that were all praying, these first century Christians, they, they were more ready to believe that it was an angel at the door than they were willing to believe that it was Peter. And that, I, I think that shows something uh, interesting about the, f- the first century believers and um, shows a little difference in our uh, perspective and, and mindset today. And just one final, and this is, this is a bunny trail, but just one final note on angelic help. Uh, the, the angel leaves Peter to act on his own as soon as he has set him free. You know, there, is, there are times, it says after he had, he had got Peter through the city gate and after, after he had gone one block, after he had gone to the next street, the angel immediately left him. And, you know, there are special times of intervention where we need angelic help, uh, but, but we don't need an angel to tell us to uh, get out of bed in the morning or go to work or to take care of our kids or to love our neighbor. Uh, God, God has more normal, I'll say normal or usual means of, of leading us and strengthening us for our daily duties. Now, and, and I say that in the context of my whole message is that we, we should have open hearts and minds and expect God to do mighty things, even send his angels to help us. Number four, our earnest prayers for people and concerns do make a difference. You know, it's possible uh, that the death of James stunned the church into realizing they better pray for Peter. And I believe in the sovereignty of God. I, I, you know, all, all that happens, I understand that. But, but still, I, I think it's very possible, you know, that the death of James was kind of a wake-up call. And they said, wow, Peter's in prison. We better pray for this guy. We better pray. They killed James What's going to happen to Peter? Uh, The other James, James, brother of Jesus, in his book, um, in chapter 5, said, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective or can accomplish much. And the early church believed that. I mean, when when there was needs, they prayed. Verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They were not just hoping for Peter to be released, uh, they prayed for him, and it's it's generally thought that that they prayed for him during during this the whole feast here that for all that for seven days they earnestly prayed for Peter, and yet many of them, maybe all of them, but it's hard to tell from the way it's worded here. But at least many of them did not have complete faith that their prayers would be answered. Verse twelve: When Peter realized what had happened, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where a large number of people had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer it on recognizing Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed that she didn't open the gate, but ran back inside and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. 
The other people told her, you are out of your mind. (laughs) They've been been praying for Peter's release. There's Peter shows up at the door and the people tell this girl, you're crazy. Many were praying. It says a lot of them were there. Many were praying, but many were praying without faith. And it's easy, to come, it's easy to come to a prayer meeting. It's easy to go into your prayer closet. It's easy to pray without faith. It's easy to pray, throw up a bunch of stuff, and you just end up worry, worrying yourself even more when you're done praying because you're, you're, you've, you've brought up all your problems and you really haven't prayed with faith. So all, the, all those problems are just still just resting on your mind and heart. And that's kind of what it seemed like had happened here, at least, at least for some of the people. But Rhoda, thank God for Rhoda, she kept insisting that it was Peter. They said, no, it's, it's his angel. Meanwhile, Peter kept on knocking and knocking. Imagine, imagine him just being left outside the door. And when, the, when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. Well, here's the encouraging thing for, for us. They did not really expect God to answer their prayers as they should have, but God still answered them. I think that's greatly encouraging because I'm not sure... I'm not sure how many times I pray and really expect God to answer as much as I should expect him to answer. And I believe, I believe we should expect God to answer. The Bible says that whatever you pray, whatever you pray, uh, believe that you've already received the answer. Uh, we sh- so we should expect. But I love the mercy of God in that he answers our prayers even when our faith isn't all that it could be or should be. You know, Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And I think one of the things that Jesus is communicating to that, he's just telling us how much can be accomplished with even the smallest amount of faith. So if you have faith even the size of a mustard seed, use it and Say to the mountain to move, and it will move, even with a small faith. So rather than focusing on, on what faith we lack, we should, we should move forward and give God all the faith that we have for every situation that is in front of us. Well, in, in one sentence, this story is simply that God sent an angel to break the chains and open the prison doors for Peter. Um, what is your prison this morning? What is your prison this morning? Many people are held in bondage to certain fears uh, and sinful habits or anger. A lot of people are held in bondage to things in the past or their past. Um, If that is you in any way, you need to be freed just as much, just as desperately as Peter needed to be set free. God is a God who wants to set his people free. God is a God who who loves for us to be be free. Free from our sin, free from our guilt, free from our shame, free from our worries, our fears. He he wants us to live with with a a free, free spirit. Now, obviously, the greatest need for freedom is to be freed from your sins. 
that is what Christ's death on the cross is all about. He died for your sins, to, to free you, to release you from your sins. There's a verse in Revelation I love where it says, He loved us and released us from our sins. He, Christ came to release you from the guilt of your sin, from the penalty, the judgment due you for your sin, and from sin's power over you. And it, the prophecy about Christ, it said, He came to set the captive free. That's, that's what He wants to do for you. And if you come to Him this morning, He, he will do that for you. I think one of the main applications from this story is just to cause us to worship God for His power to set you free. Um, and I, I wrote a little prayer that, that I prayed just spontaneously, but I think would be an appropriate response to us from this chapter. And I'm going to share this prayer with you, and then I'm just going to just encourage you to take a, few, take a few moments to just individually, on your own, silently, uh, worship God for his power, and work to work in your life. Lord, I worship you for your power over Herod. I worship you for your power over prison guards and prison doors and locked gates. I worship you for your power over my problems and over all the power of the devil. I worship you for your power over the problems in my home, my marriage, my work. I worship you for your power over any and all sins that have held me captive. I worship you for your power over the things I am anxious and fearful about. My Lord and my God, you are worthy of all praise and glory and all honor because you are the almighty supernatural God. And I, let's just take a few moments um, silently just for you to worship God, for his power to work in your life in your situation, perhaps in your salvation this morning.